Welcome to Literature for Life, where I talk to an interesting person about a story, a piece of literature that has had a significant impact on them, something that has changed their life in some small or big way. My name is Jess, and I am one of five hosts in the Femme On Podcast Collective, essentially a group of women chatting about the things that we love and care about. Today, I am super duper excited to welcome a wonderful guest, Tony Farina, um, to talk about Mansfield Park. Tony, welcome. Hello. Hello, hello. I'm so excited. Like, it's so cool because I know who you are. I've heard your voice. Uh, but this is my first time seeing your face. So it's very exciting to know you now. Now I could be like, I know Jess. Before I was like, I know Jess. But now I know Jess. Same, same. I right? Was like, you, know, you get yeah, it. Yeah. I get yeah. it. And um, we've, like, we've met, we like, you know the people I know, and I know the people you know. And I've been in the same room with Ada, and you've been in the same room with uh, Rhea. And so it's all coming together. I know, finally. I know. Finally. Um, and in my excitement, I have completely forgotten to actually properly introduce you. So <laughs> I'm going to apologize. <laughs> and uh, my listeners will be, they'll forgive me. They're lovely listeners. 100%. Sure. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> okay. So, Tony, you are college professor, podcast host on the Comics and Motion Network, which I have had the um, absolute pleasure to be featured on as well. Um, writer since the age of 12, which I definitely want to know more about. And possibly the most exciting um, part of this is a soon to be published author. Um, your Austin Chronicles series, the first of which will be published in May and is called Welcome to Mansfield. Congrats. Thank you. It's, it's surreal. It's a uh, 12 year old me is shitting himself. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. You swear. I mean, you swear. Rhea swears. Oh, so I assume I, we swear. I, love, I actually love swearing. It's a big part of who I am. Okay. Well, and we'll talk about that because my book, Welcome to Mansfield, because it is a love letter to Jane and to the book we're going to talk about today, there's no swearing. All the swearing happens off page, like deliberately. They talk about swearing and they talk about like that. That's the thing that happens. But you never see it. There's no curses in the whole book. Really? Deliberately. Really? Oh, I love that. It's hard. It was hard. And the new book that I'm working on the second and the Austin Chronicles, which is my version of Sense of Sensibility, I've turned Marianne Dashwood into a raging asshole. And so she um, got a potty mouth on her. And so I always, but you never hear it. Like they talk about it, like don't make Marianne mad because she'll have something horrible to say, but you never hear it. Oh, what? Okay. I mean, I'm so excited to read your book. I really, really am. Thank you. Um, but before we get into it, how are yeah. you today? I'm very well. I'm excited. This has been this has been a long time coming. Like I said, Rhea has been Rhea has been uh, been our to use a Jane Austen thing. Been our Lady Catherine de Berg and sent the letter of introduction along. And so here we are uh, meeting, and uh, it's exciting. I'm excited. Today is the first day. Well, sort of first day of my spring break. Like the weekend sort of was part of it. So um, I really needed a vacation, and I want to write. And I wanted to do fun things. So this was perfect. This is like a great way to start the week. And I did an event with, the, I'm a volunteer uh, at my local public library. I serve on the library board, friends board. So we did a, a volunteer luncheon today too. So I've got to hang out with library people. I'm talking books with you. I mean, pretty good. Uh, quick question. What was yeah. served at the voluntary luncheon? Um, well, th it was, you, you could choose what you wanted. So I'm a vegetarian. So I just had the salad. Because that's <laughs> when, when people don't understand what vegetarians are, they're like, here's Green a salad. Things. 
screen things like right yeah I, they did put it's funny <laughs> when they set it down in front of me that one of the people to say well like what happened to your plate because they gave me a bunch of red bell peppers on top like uh-huh. which was delightful i love peppers on salad but they were like worried for me because you know they're like <laughs> what are they oh no um but yeah oh, so it's mostly like versions of that so it's like chicken salad tuna salad mm. which again to them it's florida so it's not like what you think or it'd be like a chicken strip it's like here's like chicken salad like the mushy chicken salad on top of a salad it was <laughs> i felt a little sad for the people who like got the meat but whatever it was fun it was like just two hours and we give all the volunteers um a little award and oh, um, like that. a little thing that they could frame and then there were door prizes and they were all very excited so oh, that sounds so exciting what a, yeah. what a what a lovely day yeah it was good i love work i mean I'm volunteering my wife is a librarian but um, volunteering at the library is my thing. That is the thing. My activism is Tanya. I'm active in my activism. We do literacy outreach. And that's what we do as the friends of the library. Our thing is to get out into the community and remind people there's a library and socialism is good. Without saying socialism is good because it's Florida, they would shoot you. But libraries, come on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, before we go on to talk about the book and and, and everything, um, I do want to say that I completely understand that especially in the value of libraries because uh, like just one memory I have of 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 like really really valuing libraries like um I was just about to go into my second year of uni and I had to and I like I was like moving and I had had to spend three days in Cardiff with my aunt and she she would drop me in the in the city for the day and I would just spend like five hours in this beautiful library and I had like like glass walls and and like the sun would come through and I just sit there like and it was the most relaxing I just remember feeling incredibly at peace and relaxed so yeah the best I love yeah they're the best places and um even as a kid like where I grew up in Michigan it was a little small town it wouldn't matter because it was the 70s and everything was trying to kill us but you just walk around on your own you know so like I lived like a mile something from the library I just go and um, you know, get your own library card. And um, I just love the library. And still, like, when I took my kids, so my wife and I blended our families. Um, we don't have any kids together. But when I took my two kids, they were, they're Irish twins. So they were God, probably seven and eight, because I think you had to be seven to get your own library card at the Jackson Public Library in Jackson, Michigan, in the county. So we were walking to the library, because that was always a thing. I want to live within walking distance of a library. Like, that's always my jam. And um so we're walking, and I don't know, do you know the kids show Arthur? Arthur the Yardvark? Um, I think I do. I think, yes, I think I do remember Arthur. It was from the Arthur books. Like, there was a book series, too. Uh, Brown is the writer's name, but then they turned it into a PBS over here, a public broadcasting TV show. Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers did the opening theme song. Everything was this whole thing. Anyway, so there's a song that Brain sings, Brain, the smart kid on Arthur. Having fun isn't hard if you've got a library card. And uh, it's an amazing song. And so I'll have to send a link to it to you so you can make it your own personal mind. Or you can sing so, it to us. I'm just having saying. fun <laughs> isn't hard when you've got a library card. And then you go and then they go through all the different characters. And so as we're walking down, we get their library card. And they're so excited, the girls, because they got them, they get them racked right away. So as they're walking home, singing library card, and they would like flash it. And they were like doing like their own little dance flash mob walking back from the library with their first checkouts in their own names with their own library cards. So 
libraries. The oh, A plus, I love that. The best, oh right? Oh my gosh. So we've definitely got to do like a whole other episode on libraries is what I'm yeah, hearing. I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, anytime. I mean, I love them. <laughs> I love, I think they're the most important building in every town. Yes. I, I mean, I agree. That's absolutely. Um, okay. So I've given our listeners just a glimpse of, of kind of who you are. Do you want to elaborate at all? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so like you said, I'm a college professor. I've been that um, since I graduated from college, which is a weird thing to say. So I graduated from college yet, like I graduated from college and I turned 22, like a few months or like a month or so after I graduated from college university, as you guys would say, we say college. So it was, it's a college. Like it was my grad, it was my bachelor's degree, but because we, we have colleges and universities, which actually plays a factor into my version of Mansfield Park is at an, an American college. So anyway, um, I graduated and uh, there's a local community college there, which is more like what your kinds of colleges, but um, they needed a developmental writing teacher. That's all you needed was a bachelor's degree. I have a bachelor's in English and with a minors in women's minor in women's studies. And so I got this teaching job and I've never stopped. Like I've taught year round, never, ever taken a summer off since June, since May of 1995. Really? Really, really. I mean, is that because I'm guessing that's just because you love it? Two things. Yes, I love it. And I've only been of like in America too, being a full-time professor is not something that comes easily. It takes a lot of work and it's like a grind. And so I was part-time. So during that time from the time from 1995 until I got my first full-time gig, which was like a lot of years later, and I at we called it adjuncting at part-time teaching at a bunch of different colleges around. So I worked um I worked all around. And so I did other things like I sold carpet and I was a carpenter and I did whatever I had to do to feed myself. Um, and then I had my first marriage where I had my kids and I was still teaching like that and all that. So I've just been teaching on stop. So that is it though. This summer, this summer, it'll only be two, two months of the summer, which is more like what your summers off are over there. I will be taking eight weeks off and I'm just going to write. So oh. that'll be cool. Cause I've always said, if I ever sold a book, I would start taking summers off. And so now I have, and so, and I've sold a whole series. So I'll be taking summers off going forward. Cause it's not like I'm just going to be, I'll still be getting up and working every day. So, yeah. um, so that's that I'm a nerd. I love comics. I love books. Um, the first book I stole from the library was where the wild more Sendex where the wild things are. Very nice. It wasn't that I stole it, it was that I just didn't return it. And then there was late fees and my mom is like dumbass. <laughs> Oh, I love that. You could you could have probably bought it with the late fees. Uh, but I love that book. I actually started reading when I was three. Um, like I was a full word reader. Like my spelling is still atrocious to these day to today because I could be such an advanced reader that in like kindergarten, which here which is when you're five or six, I was five, I could read at such a level that when they were learning like how to break down words, they're like, you know how to read. So I would go read by myself or go read with the third graders. And so I never really learned how to spell. So like I read wow. the Chronicles of Narnia in kindergarten. So I was five. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, that's so interesting about, you know, like, and I think my teacher friends would, would, would be like, yes, of course that makes sense. But, um, wow. But it, I mean, it's a I'm bad, to... it was a bad choice though. I mean, like they, they didn't want to bore me because I was easily bored, yeah. but also I, it hurt my ability to spell. So still to this day, there's some, tricks that I'm an adult man who is an English teacher in his own right. And there's certain 
things I have to do in my head to spell words correctly. And there's some words I know I spell them wrong the first time, every time, and I just do it. And then I'm like, okay, that's wrong. So I look at it and I'm like, that's not it. But my brain yeah. can't put it together. So um, that's it. And then, like I said, I started writing when I was 12. I wrote a play. I wrote short stories. I drew comics. So I did. I tried to write comics because um, that's when I started to get into comics too then. I just wasn't a sleeper. I was recently officially diagnosed with ADHD, which when you look back at my life, you're like, yes. Um, so I just didn't sleep much. And so my parents kind of left me alone in a room. And they're like, there's books, there's comic books that give me a little tiny black and white TV. They're just like, shut up, <laughs> fuck alone. So that was my whole life was always with these imaginary people. And they're, yeah. they're always been my friends. That I find um, listening, listening to adults talk about all the ways that they used imagination as a kid. It, it always connects the dots for me with the, with the person themselves. Cause I mean, this is our first time having a proper chat, but you, you come across, I mean, I know that you're a published author, but you come across as very sort of um, creative, not the right word, but, 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 but you've got so much creative energy. And, and so it makes sense that as a kid, you were always surrounded by like your own imagination in some ways, but also just stories, stories, stories. It was like that for me as well, because I was an only, I grew up as an only child. And so if I wasn't out playing with friends, you know, neighbor friends, I was like making up my own like narrative in my in my bedroom with with like stuffed toys and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I always, I find that so interesting. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thanks. It's true though. It is, it, well, and I do think too, you're a book, person obviously hence the show and i do think i think book people and not to say people who there's people who are book people and then there's just readers yeah. and there's nothing wrong with just being a reader we love you readers but book people are different and book people the people mean the people are real to you and and i, I don't know if and I, what you're saying makes so much sense that they spring forth from your imagination like you you spend time with them you talk to them think about them when you're not reading them or watching them on TV or whatever. Um, and again, you know, like we were talking off air about how Rhea loves film and breaks on film and, and, and her brother is the same way, you know, he has the film, film degree too, you know, like they're film nerds, like those folks love them and the way that they break down movie, it blows my mind, but it's still story. It's still art. It's still, you know, what they do is they look at just a different medium. They're film people, we're book people, but we're all people who love and consume art and story. And like you said, yeah. and I think there is something, there's nothing wrong with just being entertained. And I love, I mean, the reason I love dumb action movies is because I need that. Like, I just want to yeah. watch it and be like, oh, punchy, punchy, dumb, dumb, love. <laughs> heart, heart on the face. Give me Bruce Lee. Ooh, that's what I'm going to think the next time I watch, like, because like, for me, like Transformers is one of those films. Oh. And just like, oh yeah, crash into each other. This is great. But the yeah, next we, time I watch, I'm going to be like, punchy, punchy. <laughs> it is punchy, punchy, dumb. One of my kids and I actually hate watch. We, we hate watch all of the Transformer oh, yeah. movies together. And then, um, because there's like, we were so mad that one, we we're like, okay, this is the robot dinosaur one. And we go to the theater and we're like, ready for robot dinosaurs. And they show up in like the last three minutes of the movie. And we're like, this was all a big punk. We were all punk. <laughs> and these movies are so awful. Um, and the new uh, Godzilla Monsterverse, the Godzilla Kong ones, we went and hate watched those together. Emma and I did because we were just like, oh my god, these are. So we went to the first Godzilla, excited to see it. We're like, oh my god, that was objectively terrible, but kind of. We like ten minutes through the movie, we were already just doing Mystery Science Theater three thousand and just shitting on it. 
because we went to like uh we're the only two people in the theater and um so then we just deliberately did that with the rest of them we're just like let's hate watch them so no the transformer movies are a great hate watch and uh and then they made bumblebee and you're like oh you ruined it by making a beautiful transformers movie yeah, absolutely. Or made it better? I don't know. Because that movie is... Because then you're like, oh, what could those movies have been? Yeah. If you made this... Right. <laughs> Rhea's you... going to be so annoyed that she's not part of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Rhea. We yeah, but, it is, but you know what the cool thing about Transformers and, and, a, and a person I really you know admire and respect, Julian Darius, he's been on and he's a writer too and he loves Transformers. Like Transformers, like the toys and the original Transformers movies and he'll watch the Michael Bay boost. Like Transformers mean a lot to him because again, the toys, the Transformers, they're literally becoming something else in front of you. And so you, those action figures are the greatest action figures ever for imaginative kids because you're like, and adults, because you're like, oh, it's this, but now it's this. And it, it, it allows you action figures and dolls and whatever. They give you the opportunity to create story Absolutely. And to you like know, push the boundaries as well with right. creation. Yeah. Because, and especially when you mix the, when you mix them, like yeah. that's what robot chicken is. Right. But it's like, and obviously that's done for last, but like when you, when you say, well, I'm going to use this Superman dollar, here's my Jane Austen action figure. So it's like Jane Austen is going to fight against Batman. You could do that when they're toys. Like you just get to break yeah. universe. And every time when you're a kid playing with dolls and action figures, or writing a story, you're breaking, you're breaking the rules and you're in, inventing a world. And that is what books do, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. They give you a place to be. So the fact that you're a book person, not just a reader, but a book person, which again, nothing wrong with being a reader. Please be readers. But <laughs> we we're saying, love readers. But you know, and even readers are like, I read, but you are like a professional. Like, what are you doing? Like, and yeah. that's you, right? You're like, I'm yeah. in, I need yeah. these people. So yeah, yeah. I just, I, it's just always been important to me my mom is a big reader. Um, I'm a fake extrovert. And um, because that was how I survived, you know, yeah. and, uh, but really I just want to be left alone. You know, I was oh. a straight edge. I was a straight edge kid, yeah. uh, which I don't know if you guys, <laughs> yeah, I didn't drink or smoke or anything until I was old enough to do that. Oh, okay. So like, even in high school, everybody's getting drunk or whatever. And most nights it was like, I would just rather go home. Like I played American football and those are Friday night games. There was always a party. And I had to like be dragged to those because I'm like, can I just, I should rather go home. The game's yeah. over. I remember I was probably 12 or 13. Again, those are formative years for me. Maybe I read um, Of Mice and Men in one sitting. I don't know if you've ever read oh, Of Mice I and d- Men. Yeah, I have read it. Yeah. And one I sitting. Wow. was inconsolable. Oh, yeah. Like I was alone in my room, like puke crying. Like it was the worst like those like that and to this day that book it means a lot to me for all the reasons and it's brilliantly written but you know it's like those are the kinds of things that would just happen like the first time i read perfect day for banana fish by jd salinger and that book ends with the suicide that you that you don't see coming it was just like devastated and then also like son of a bitch you can do that like that's a story you can write a book like that you know so it's like yeah you, you love the characters, but then if you want to write your own, or you want to think about and be creative, you start figuring out how to do what they did. Yes. Yes. And that, because I've been trying to do that for about 12 months. <laughs> trying to, because yeah. I'm also writing, I'm writing a novel. I mean, it's incredibly slow progress. It, Very it's slow a progress. process. But it is a process. And I, I must say, I'm loving the process. I'm loving the process because I love 
I've always been very imaginative and I love creating stories and people and thinking about all the different things that they can do and um but also I, I I'm when I read great books I'm like okay how did they do that right you know, and then it feeds into what I'm doing so yeah um yeah and then sometimes you're like all right I just can't do that like when I read the uh book thief I was like all right this is perfect and I can never do this so I'm never going to try like it exists yeah. and I'll just leave that be that will park over here in the perfection town um I love book thief it's one of, I mean it's literally again that's I hyperventilate crying reading that book um I don't know if you've ever read to, it I haven't but I oh but, I, but I'll invite you back on okay and we can talk about the book thief because that'll give me a chance to actually read it. Oh my God. It is. Uh, so now it's I will list. say no more. Okay. It's, but anyway, so yeah. So yes. Um, well, okay. There's a, there's a young adult novelist called Scott Westerfeld. And in one of his books about a writer called Afterworlds, the character says, and I'm saying this to you as the writer, if you write one page a day at the end of a year, you'll have a novel. Oh gosh. Oh, That's it. Wow. That's all it takes. That's like 350 words a day. Minute. Like, or less, depending on, you know, how big the words are and how much dialogue there is. But it's true. Like, it's so inspiring whenever I get, and I'm a, I am get kind of into weird, um, like, fugue state when I'm writing sometimes. Like, I lose all track of time and space. And literally, you, my office chair is an old-timey library chair. Oh, I like love it. Yeah. yeah. Because that's where I'm most comfortable. Um, but I can, I sit here, like everybody's got like really nice office chairs and I had one of those for a while. And then I was writing in a public library and I was like, my back doesn't hurt. I'm so productive. And so I bought one and I even just paid to have this one recovered instead of getting a new one. It is like solid wood, but it's like, and again, I'm sure that's part of it. It's just like, I love those old, you know, old timey, you know, like, but, but so some days I can write seven, eight pages, 10 pages without even moving, but then even on the days when I don't get to write, it's like, okay, but I thought about it. I worked on it. So I just want to say to you, as you're writing the process is fun. It's a, I love the process, but it's just one, if you can average one page a day. So that means oh, look today, it's not, don't ever get yourself down. And it may take you, maybe it's going to take you six years because have, you, don't, yeah. you don't have the time, but it's okay. I just love that you're doing it. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm, I've given myself a very long timeline. That's good. I, I don't, I stifle my own creativity. I get in my own way when I give myself unrealistic expectations. Mm. You know, I've got like a full-time job and this wonderful podcast and just a bunch of other creative projects on the go. Um, but yes, but but thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, it's just something you need. To, I mean, I've always known that to be true. And, you know, when I went and got my MFA as an adult, um, I mean, I was an adult when I got my master's in education, but when I got my second master's, like I could have gotten a like in America, you have to have a terminal degree at some point in time. And that's generally a PhD or you guys say DPhil. Um, but I decided like we have a master's of fine arts and creative writing. And I did opted for that because I've been working on this book and working on this book and it just was bogging me down and they just needed to figure out how to move away from being a short story writer, which is what I was into being a novelist. And, um, and I figured it out, but it was, it, and I literally had to be taught. I had to have the right teachers. I had to be in the right yeah. place. You had to be surrounded by the right people. And I'm not saying that that is the only way, but I'm saying it was a way, you know, it so helps. it's like, right. So I just want to spread the encouragement to you. That yeah. was to me from those people. Um, I just mentioned it the other day in the the live Sonic Salon that we recorded. It's coming out in a little while, but um, Seth wrote this magical realism story and 
I tell this story on there that one of my professors from there, he's a magical realist and I was writing real stuff. He's like, you're the difference for you is like when you write yourself into a corner, you got to use real stuff to get yourself out of the corner. He's like, for me, I can just be like magic fish can appear and fix it because it's magical realism. And he's like, so everybody's got a process. So he was, that's what he said to me is like, you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes you got to sit in the corner for a while. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, it's yeah it's figuring out your own process isn't it absolutely yeah, yeah. um okay so i'm going to try and circle back in a really sure. in, i was going um <laughs> sorry i was going to try and be really Book smooth about talking. it but that's not that's not me i'm just going to be like i'm just going to ask my next question sure let's do that <laughs> so um i think towards the end i want to talk more about your your book but sure. but, but it'll all link up because um but first i want to ask so which piece of literature are we here to talk about today? We are here to talk about Jane Mansfield's um, misunderstood masterpiece, Mansfield Park. Mansfield Park, yes. Okay, so before you mentioned this to me, so I must, I'm, I'm just going to pref preface, preface. Um, before um, we connected about this episode, I'd only read one Jane Austen novel, um, Sense and Sensibility or Pride and, no, I think it was Pride and Prejudice. Um, so, and it was like, okay, that was, that was nice. You know, I, it was the audiobook. It was lockdown. I needed to not be in my, in my flat in the middle of a pandemic. I needed to be in, you know, far away. So, yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> I, I needed to be far away. And so yeah, yeah. I, I listened, I, I listened to that, but that, that's as far as I have that's far as I've gotten on the Jane Austen journey. And so when you, sure. when you said Mansfield Park, I was like, okay, I'll, let me, let me take a listen. Um, and I didn't fall in love with it, but so I am excited because I know that you absolutely love Jane Austen. You love everything Jane Austen. You've got your wonderful Jane Austen action figure. Um, and she's beautiful, by the way. She is. And there's and right here, you'll see, and this is for the, you only, but so these right here, these yeah. are a set of Jane Austen, the six novels. Every living space in our house has a complete set. Really? So my wife's got a different set in her office. Our bedroom has a different set. Our living room has a different set. Our little dining room area has a different, like one of the collected, the dining room kind of bar area. We've got some of the comic books and we've got a couple of the ones that come together. So, and then of course we have digital editions as well and audio versions. You just never know when you need some help. Jane's there. Oh, I love that. Okay, so you, then it sounds like you're the perfect person to um, tell me why I should love Jane Austen then. So sure. I'm, I'm like super ready for this conversation. Okay, well, yes. I know. So part of it is this. Okay, so the truth is, the honest truth is, as a kid, I'd only read the big three. I hadn't read the other three. I'd only read the big three. The big three being Pride and Prejudice, Sense, Sensibility, and Emma. Yeah. And for my whole life, you know, and I probably read them as teenager. My whole life, I always thought Emma's the greatest thing ever. Emma's fucking hysterical. It's so <laughs> funny. Emma doesn't know she's funny. Emma is an ass. <laughs> um, you know, I don't love the way that George chastises her at the end. I don't like that. I don't like that. I'll say that again. I don't like that. He's also 15 years older than her. Everybody, you oh. know, so right you forget that part it is weird because he's there's one moment in there where he writes where he talks to her about holding her as a baby oh and he gosh, remembers yeah. it he remembers it it's not like 
you know, there's a picture of me as as I'm three holding you as a baby or five. But again, you know, it's what it is. And Emma's in her 20s, mm-hmm. right? So George is like 35 and Emma's okay. like 21, 2020. Yeah. So, you know, she's not 16. Yeah. Um, but anyway, those so that was it. Those are the ones I had read for all the reasons that those are the ones you read, because those are the ones that got made into movies. Those are the ones that everybody said are the best. And it was just that. And just, you know, I'd go to college and you get into your life. And then I, my first marriage fell apart or whatever. And so it wasn't like I never was. I've always liked those three. And I'd read those three multiple times. I used to teach Emma, actually. I taught an English literature course and I made my students read Emma. Okay. I love that. I mean, Austin, all there. But so then um, it was just it was just a blind spot. We all have blind spots. Like I just read a finished a book to this morning that didn't love, but in the book, the the writer essentially is writing a love letter to Virginia Woolf, and that's a blind spot for me. Like I have never read Virginia Woolf because okay. I was like, I have got Kate Chopin. I don't need your British version of Kate Chopin. We Americans <laughs> Kate Chopin, and it was always just like being a dick like that, like just being small minded. Because I was like, everybody knows Virginia Woolf, but Kate Chopin's my you know American yeah. feminist writer that I love, and I love her. Um, and you know, and, and we've got we've got our people. Fuck you, Virginia Woolf. But I'm just being <laughs> stupid, right? But reading this, so here I am. You know, an English, per, you know, I have a, a, an English degree. I have a creative writing degree. I have a women's studies degree. I've never read Virginia Woolf. Seen, I mean, I've read some short stories, but never read like a full. Never read yeah. Mrs. Dalloway. That ends. That ends now. So those are just things like life is full of blind, you know, blind spots. So once I met my wife. Um, we were in our thirties and we're book nerds and, um, she wasn't a librarian then she was an accountant. She hadn't gone to library school yet, but we were still people who loved libraries and who loved books. And so as we were talking about Jane, I don't remember how it started. Um, but we both came to the realization we hadn't, we weren't really hadn't read them all. So that was it. So we just like over the next year, we just reread the ones that we loved and started what, what one of our kids calls the world's smallest book club. And we're always like, I'd say half of the books we read are the same. And then sometimes we save each other. So like this book I read today was called After Sappho. And I was like, it sh- should be awesome. It just wasn't. So I was like, nah, you guys, you can give it a pass. I don't know if you like that book. And I'm sorry, it was shortlisted oh, no, for I the Booker. Don't worry, I haven't. Short, shortlisted for the Booker Prize. So every other people think it's good. It's always weird when you're like, hard, oh. Yeah. That's uh, happened to that... me quite a lot. <laughs> right? Yeah. What just, is that? Yeah. I just read these books and I'm like, like I, I read... I read The Promise uh, by a South African author, which I think won the Booker Prize. It was okay. Like, I actually didn't finish it because it got really intense. Um, And I I think I know why they picked it, because it's written in this really interesting way, but that's about it. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and I know, and I feel like basic or whatever, but I don't care. Like, I gotta like what you like. So, anyway, so we read these books, and... um, you know, I still loved Emma. And I was like, I don't know that anything's going to beat Emma. And then I read Persuasion, which is perfect. I realized I was wrong that Emma is not the best. Persuasion is the best. And I still stand by that. Persuasion is still my favorite. I don't know if it's the best, but it is my favorite. I love it. Love everything about it. Persuasion is the only book that's about adults. Like adult okay. adults. Like they're in their okay. late 20s. Not, I mean, they're all adults. You know, like you... You envision them like Marianne is the youngest protagonist in all of in all of Austin. She's still a teenager, teenager. Okay. Eleanor's 19 when that starts, but the, you know, they're older. But anyway, 
and so then we read, you know, we just pushed right through and, you know, it wasn't a push through and we just kind of read all six right in a row. And so then um, I read um, Northanger Abbey, which I hadn't read. And man, that is a delight. I guess Kat's probably still a teenager. And I was like, oh, that Kat Moreland, um, she's something. And Henry Tilney is the hero in that. And, and then he, he's like, he's me. Like, I love him. I could see myself in Henry Tilney and I love that guy. And then I read Mansfield Park and it is, it's the longest. It's like 165,000 words. It is the only book that really takes us through the entire character's life. Like little kid, Fanny is the star. Her name is Fanny. That's a problem. And I know what that word means over there. It means something different than it does here. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I kind of I kind of love it when I come across a book that uses the word Fanny because yeah, Fanny yeah. has been, you know, Fanny's now Fanny is now like a comical <laughs> word for vagina. And right. like it it, it, it was not how then. did it how did that happen? Like it used I to don't be know. it used to be the name, it used to be a like a woman's name. Like how right. did we how did Fanny Francis. become it was a nickname for Francis? Exactly. Like why yeah. who did that? Who did that? I think we should I don't know. We should circle back round anyway. We should find out the etymology of that. I would love yeah. that. Yeah. But so I read Mansfield Park and I loved it. I loved it. It was a slog. I love a good sloggy okay. plotting novel. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. If, if the characters are interesting. This is my problem with Dune. No offense to your partner or people who love <laughs> Dune. I don't find anyone particularly interesting. Yeah. I, I feel like... I feel like Dune, and I just tried to read Brian Sanderson. I did read a Brian Sanderson book, and it's like everybody is an archetype in those books purposefully. They're fantasy books. Like Dune is like, this is the savior. This is the protector. This is this. This is this. Okay. They're all filling in a blank for a thing. It's very um, symbolic, Dune is. This isn't, there's no symbolism. It's just, this is a kid's life, and it's sucky. And yeah. then you get to be with her. And so Fanny Price is just this misunderstood um, miscreant who is good. She's not funny, in particularly. Um, she's not Elizabeth Bennett. She's not everybody's, you know, she's not silver-tongued. She's not like an asshole like Marianne Dashwood. And she's not like an asshole like Emma, who's a different kind of asshole. Emma Woodhouse is a different kind of asshole, but an asshole nonetheless. She's not funny um, like Anne in persuasion she's not stern she's good she's fanny yeah. price is good and her resoluteness to be who she is 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 inspiring to me so we are all people who are influenced by those around us i look back on my own life having you know being it's just two of us but having an older sister who was older and you know how it well you don't because you're an only child but when you when you have older siblings you have di family dynamics or whatever it is your life moves with whatever is happening around you if you have the wrong friends you're trying to fit in or you're trying to do whatever you do things and in my first marriage in particular too like i did things that i'm not proud of not at my wife but on behalf of my wife like i'm a firm believer like you're married to that person you have that person's back so when i was married to her that person was my spouse I, I had her back in ways that I was not comfortable with, but it was like, that's what you do. That's the person you agreed to be in this relationship. So you got to have that person's back. But those things made me feel gross and icky about myself. And the, and the thing about Fanny Price, when I finally meet her and I meet my wife, who is very resolute, who knew like at seven when the phone would ring and somebody would say, tell them I'm not here. She's like, well, I'm not going to do that. So then I guess I'm just not going to answer the phone. Like, you know, like 
Brilliant. To be that to be that ballsy at seven is so cool. That is something. And Fanny Price is that, and that is it. So I see a lot of my wife in Fanny. Mm-hmm. I think that's there's definitely that, and I definitely see a lot of her in Anne Elliot, um, who who is my favorite heroine of them all from Persuasion. But um, so that was it. So so I just I read Mansfield Park, and then like I read it again pretty quickly after, and then I just really <laughs> really like it. Like I like that that. Jane Austen said, hold my beer. I am going to show you everything. Because the thing is, it's easy to just keep writing Pride and Prejudice. It's the best for a reason. It's everybody's favorite for a reason. Because Lizzie Bennet's awesome. Yeah. She's the best heroine. Like, she's, everybody, everybody wants her and everybody wants to be with her. Right? That's who she is. Everybody wants to be her and everybody wants to be with her. That's who Lizzie Bennet is. She's everybody's, you want to be Lizzie Bennet or you want to kiss Lizzie Bennet or you want to like look at Lizzie Bennet. Like Lizzie Bennet sucks all the oxygen out of the room and she doesn't mean to. She's not an asshole. Lizzie Bennet, not an asshole. But she's awesome. But Jane Austen never said every one of my heroines will be the same. They are all different and unique and special. Mm. And there are people who are good. And it's okay to be good. It's cool to be good. It's cool to have morals. It's cool to say, like, and I look back at the decisions I made in my marriage, or the decisions I made as a, as a kid or whatever in college, the things that you do, the, the the things that you look back on, not necessarily with regret, but like, ugh, I did the thing. And in your mind, you think you did it for some moral principle, right? But Fanny Price would never do that. She'd be like, no, 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 I already have my moral principles. I don't need yours. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. You can accept me for mine. And and the beautiful thing about Fanny Price is she accepts everyone for theirs. She never judges anyone. Yeah. She never judges anyone. She never throws shade. She's like, I don't care. I mean, <laughs> you do you. I'm not going to do that. But as a kid who was straight edge, and this was the one thing that was, I did relate to her too when I go back to that because I was much more resolute as a te- you know at that stage of my life than I was later in life, I think, and I'm back to that now. But um, you know, when you're 16, 17, and all your friends are drinking, and you're not, and all your friends are doing drugs and smoking, and you're not, I never judged them. I never said, don't do drugs, drugs are bad. I was just like, I don't want to do those things. But they always took it as, you're judging me. Yeah. And but I never was. And so I could really relate to Fanny. So that is my long, sorry. I feel like I just talked for an hour. Sorry. No, no, don't be sorry. Do not apologize. That was perfect. That was perfect because I really didn't care about, like, I was like, I'm going to do this because I want to, want to, you know, I want to like, I want to, I want to, I want to know all the fuss is about. I want to know what the fuss is about. I do think I'm using the wrong medium, though. I, I think I keep doing it via audiobook, and I think I need to. I think I need to read it because I the right kept... the right reader matters. I think the reader you have, Juliet Stevenson, reads a version. Try that. Okay. And and I don't know that there's a full cast of Mansfield Park, but there are some full cast Audible full cast versions that um Mike Mike. Mike said he read he listened to Sense and Sensibility with the full cast and he said it blew his doors off. Okay. So that may help too, full cast. Yeah. yeah. But the version you read the version you listened to definitely could could hurt. Yeah, I think it I think it matters because um I kept getting lost in the language because I, I do think language is uh language matters when it comes to um your experience of a story how well you um relate to that story um 
how accessible, you know, I, I'm a, like a language I think matters for an accessibility point of view as well. So for me, when the language, and I and obviously like, um, I understand why the language is what it is, but for me with the language, it was kind of like, okay, first, before I can even get to the story, I'm like understanding what it means, if that makes sense. So I was like peeling yeah. back the kind of, the language helps to set me in that era, but I'm like, I'm like peeling it back before I can get into the story. And so I think maybe that I, I maybe I should read it. And also maybe I should like just keep going because, but yeah, so I think that's a key thing. But also I think what you said about a slog, like mm-hmm. it, the audio book is 14 hours long. Like it really is, um, it really feels like a slog, but and and I this is the only thing this is one of the only like one of three points I had on my notes because I chatted to a good <laughs> chat chatted to a good friend of mine who is also a, a book person and she was and she loves Jane Austen and she was like there are lots of layers to Jane Austen's writing and so all I've got is I've just got the word like layers layers yeah and so that's what it was in my mind when I was like listening to you talk about it uh and and Mansfield Park especially I feel like it's you know it's such a big book and it's very it's it's it seems to be mostly about the characters it is and there's a shit ton of them yeah yeah so So many part of it I was I was like who is this like (laughs) and they all have the same name so Mariah is the bitch sister but the mom is also called Mariah (laughs) okay um and then William is the, or, or Thomas is the dad, um, uh, uh, Bertram. And then Thomas is the son. Right. And then so, Fanny is, is Francis and her mom is Francis. And her brother, William, is named William because her dad is William. So you have two Williams, two Francis's, two Mariah's and two Thomas's in this book. I So, so Jane was just really fucking with all of us. 100%. And then, and then, um, Yates, his name is John, and there's a million other Johns, like, you know, Yates, who, who appears later, his name is John. And so in, I want it to be in Persuasion, there's a line in there about um, going on to marry all the other Elizabeths and Janes. Like, there's this joke, like, she's, like, even saying, ha. And so <laughs> in Sense Sensibility, there's three characters called John. <laughs> it's true and so she's just like yes she is fucking with you because she is like here's what i believe yeah back in the day back it back when colbert stephen colbert still did the colbert report but now i guess it would be like john oliver like in my mind if if she and jonathan swift were alive today she would host the daily show and jonathan swift would host like late night or the, the last week tonight with john oliver or the colbert report like they are like the most brilliant satirists you know, it, it, writing in English. There's other, I'm not pretending like no offense. People are like Voltaire. And like, listen, English, <laughs> you heard me say, okay, I get you. I hear you. Candide is brilliant. I'm not, I'm saying English satirists. Jane Austen is not seen as a satirist, but everything is social satire. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. She's like, who the fuck are these people? And yes. all of these sisters have different last names. And they call each other Mrs. Whatever. They don't ever say, like, Mrs. Norris doesn't have a first name in the book. Yeah. Mariah and Fran Sr. never call her by a name. Mrs. Norris. That's your fucking sister. Okay. (laughs) 
so, so that true. says everything about their relationship, but also it says everything about the time and what Jane is saying about Mrs. Norris and the and the way that she presents herself as this important person who's the wife of a minister. That makes her more important in her mind than her sister, Mrs. Bertram, who is the rich lady who is making the whole book happen. Like yeah. Mrs. Bertram, Mariah, she's just like throwing cash. Woo! She's got <laughs> money everywhere. And then Francis, um, you know, uh, Price, Franny, Fr- Fran Sr., she's poor and destitute. She married a loser. And Mrs. Norris is like Mrs. Norrising them. It's like, she's not your mom. She's your sister. But they, but she treats her that way. So like every layer is there. And then when, when, when Fran, Fanny goes to Mansfield Park, because that's the plot, right? Is that, that Fran says, oh my God, I'm knocked up again with my ninth pregnancy with my drunk ass husband. Because apparently the sex is great, but um, he's an asshole. And I just, can you take some of the kids off my hands? And they're like, who do you got? We'll take your oldest daughter. We'll take her. And so that's how it is. So they like, Mrs. Norris convinces Mrs. Bertram and Tom Bertram to take their niece. And they think, oh, well, Mrs. Norris, your husband just died. Your rectory is empty. You'll take the kid in. She's like, I couldn't possibly. (laughs) I know. Yeah, She's such an asshole. I enjoyed that bit. Yeah, it's hysterical. And so- she brings her in and then there's immediately Julia and Mariah and these are her cousins and they're like the mean girls. And then there's the older two boys, Edmund and Tom, who don't know what to do with her. They're like this poor, sad, sad little girl. And Ed, her first cousin, which, ew, but again, that happens a lot. I mean, remember, Darcy is supposed to marry his first cousin. That's the whole thing in Pride and Prejudice is that Lady Catherine gets mad that Darcy doesn't want to nail his sickly inbred cousin. <laughs> He's like this vivacious bookworm over here. I'm totally into her. Oh, you want me to marry my sickly cousin and first cousin and that I've grown up with as a sister? Um, you. <laughs> but that was the way it was, right? And so yeah. it does. It unfortunately does end with 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 Fanny marrying her first cousins. But um, he's really good to her, right? When he first sees her, and so there's this like again this poor child is like pulled out of her home and she's like poor and she's put in this really wealthy place. But then they're all like, but don't forget you're not really us. Like Mrs. Norris's whole thing is you're beneath us. We brought you here to show you that you're beneath us. But then you're like, lady, it's not your money. It's your <laughs> wife's money. It's your oh, sister's, yeah. it's your sister's money and her husband's money because of the way that it was done at that time. So it's just, it's everything Austin did was about class and gender and power and that's through all of her books and she's making so much fun of it and again the names all the names are always the same um everybody's you know called they're all marrying their cousins and they're all stupid inbred idiots and she's calling it out for what it is and and part of the problem i think and you can is the jane ostification of move of the adaptations people think that it means that like when you hear oh jane austen you're like oh that's a kissing book you're like yeah, is it though how much how much kissing happens in the books yeah almost none it's not a kissing book it is a it's about romance there's definitely romantic it's romantic books at some level but it's always about navigating class it's about navigating money it's about navigating social status i mean you don't get mean girls without jane austen yeah yeah, that makes sense. She wrote, she was writing about mean girls. It's about women 
It's about women and girls and the way that they can be mean to each other and the way that the men manipulate them or the men in this case in Mansfield Park don't even know what the fuck is going on. They're so confused. The men in this book have zero clues. They have nary a clue about what is going on right under their eyes because they're all like, you got it, dear, whatever. Like they're just, they're so caught up in their thing that they're not paying attention to what's happening in their own homes or in their own spaces. And they're all really dumb. Um, <laughs> and that's her comment too. And so it's just, it's so, I, I, I understand it's a slog, but if you just, if you rename the characters and you, that helps me, obviously in my adaptation of it, I rename the characters. So there's not six people with the same names. Like I you mean, use I don't need a reason to want to read your book. <laughs> Thanks. But that is, that's definitely going to be one of the reasons that I really, really <laughs> yeah. want to read your book. I feel like you're going to, I almost feel like your book is going to make, is 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 going to help people like me. I say people like me because like I, you know, I didn't have that immediate appreciation Jane Austen I have sure. a, an appreciation now <laughs> cool. um I feel like that's gonna help people like it's it's gonna it's gonna give people an appreciation for Jane Austen is what I, I hope is what I'm yeah and, the, and I've I've made it a true YA so like in mine she's not called Fanny because I know what that word means yeah thank you you know what? I learned that from actually Megan Mike's Megan from Genuine Chit Chat. She's oh, yeah. the one who said out loud what Fanny meant. And I was like, oh, shit. Because over here, Fanny, if anything, it's an ass. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. really? Um, yep. Fanny would be a butt. You pat on the fanny is a thing someone would say. Oh. It means something different. So if you're reading an old, like, 1950s detective mm -hmm. fiction and somebody says I patted her on the fanny, it means butt. Okay. I'm glad I know that now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you yeah. read that, you're like, wow, that's bold. That's weird... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, either way, it's bold. But anyway, so I made her, her name is Junior. She is Junior Price. She is Francis Price Jr. Everybody just Love calls her that. Junior. And then her brother is William Price Jr. They just call him Bill. <laughs> yes. Let's yes. just move on. Not, and, then, and then Mariah and Mariah. So what I did was I have Mariah. And at first, the original draft actually just had the mom called Maria. And I was spelling them differently because in the book, they're spelled like in England, you guys see Maria, like West Side Story of Maria, but you say Mariah with an, but in America, if it doesn't have an H, it's Maria. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I spelled Mariah with an H. So I, but then I was like, well, there's Maria. And then Mary shows up later. So I went back through and then had, I changed my, the mom's name to Candy, but her name is still Mariah, Maria Crawford, but because it was or Maria Mansfield is the name that I used. Um, and so Eminem, so her dad just called her Candy. But That's I mean, I was, that yeah, stuck. Eminem came into my head. So I'm so right. glad that you distilled so that. So we just did that and we got rid of that. And then um, Norris still doesn't, you only, you do, I finally give Norris a name, but you don't find out what it is until the very end of the book. And okay, I will leave perfect. that for that. But Norris is just Norris's name. Everybody Wonderful. calls Norris Norris or Reverend Norris or Dr. Reverend Norris, depending on what kind of mood she's in. Um She's an awful monster. She's the villain of the piece okay, of mine. Wonderful. And so what I've done is I've, I said, so junior is 16 and she's a um, skipped ahead of grade. And so she's off to college, not yet 17. And so, which happens in America, you know, you can graduate high school early. So she did. So I've made her a real teenager. So my thing is all of the books, they're going to be actual teenagers. Okay. Instead of like 
probably is about 20 somethings. I think yeah. that's part of it too, is, is it doesn't, it's not appealing to everybody in modern day. You're like these rich white people ha- don't have real troubles. <laughs> yes. That was also, that's also part of it. That's kind of like why I spent three hours learning about like Fanny not being able to walk more than a mile. Um, you know, like, yeah, that was definitely part of it. Yeah. Well, and, cause she's sickly and they've treated her. She's where she lives. Um, it's bad, right? Like in the, in the book, they live in the ship. Her dad was in the Navy and they live in a dirty area. And so the air is polluted. There's lots of exhaust okay. or whatever. And so okay. my guess is she's asthmatic and we didn't know. And then okay. she moved to Mansfield and she could actually breathe. It doesn't say that specifically, but that is what makes sense. And they always just treat her like she's so fragile. Yes. Because she doesn't want to do the dumb. Just because she doesn't want to jump off a cliff doesn't mean she's fragile. It means she's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So, you see, you're helping, you're helping. Me well, so, so my hope is, and in, and in the, in the real book, there's a scene where they all go out walking and they leave Fanny behind, like while she's out. Yes. There. That's, and in, in that's my version, <laughs> in my version, they leave her um, in the aftermath of a Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm so excited yeah. to read this. <laughs> yeah. Her virgin showing a Rocky Horror Picture Show, it's like three o'clock in the morning and she's all up. They've all, <laughs> but it's the, the dynamic is a lot different in my version too. Like my version of Junior is not. She's got a secret life that nobody because she's I've made her tiny, um, but she's a mechanic, and it's like one throwaway line that you learn that she can fix cars, but you never see her do it, but you learn that she can, and so that just says everything about her, like the things that she can do and the person that she is, and. The, she's a very strong person. And I believe that Fanny Price from Mansfield Park is a very strong person because to say no to everything all the time, to watch your cousins do stupid shit that you know is going to piss your uncle off, your uncle who's letting you live in his house for free, he's feeding you, he's nice to you. Tom Sr. is really nice to Fanny. Mrs. Bertram is really nice. Mariah Sr. is really nice to Fanny. She's like, these people are nice to me. They said, don't do this. I'm not going to. Yeah. And so the whole time she looks like a stick in the mud, but she's just like the voice of reason. Yeah. Like nobody says that Jiminy Cricket's a stick in the mud, but it's the same. It's the same character. Like it's just nobody's ever thought to make the nice guy the lead. Yes, you're right. And Jane Austen is like, but why not? Why not? Like those Bronte sisters, everybody's awful. And I listen, I'm on record and I know this will piss Rhea off when she listens, but I love Withering Heights. <laughs> she fucking hates Withering Heights. <laughs> Everybody sucks in Withering Heights. Yeah. Everybody sucks in that book. Everybody is terrible and they're garbage monster people. That's what makes it compelling. That's why people think they like the Bronte sisters better than Jane. Because not everybody in Jane, there are villains, like Wickham is obviously a villain in Pride and Prejudice, and Norris is a villain in this. But like, nobody thought, well, I'm going to write a story about the good person and make that a story and feeling like well, that's boring. So it's a misunderstood masterpiece because the heroine doesn't do anything. Like Cat Norland gets an adventure at Northanger Abbey and, you know, um, Anne Elliot finds love in adulthood and Elizabeth finds her match, you know, and, and Eleanor finds her true heart and Marianne falls down a lot, whatever. Fuck, fuck you, Marianne. <laughs> but, but like Emma, you know, figures out that she needs to call, like, it's not, a, it's, it's not only about you, Emma. And so, like, they all have these moments to learn. Fanny Price doesn't need to learn anything. Okay. So it doesn't sound interesting. 
they all need to learn from her. And yeah. and that's what she does. She leads by example. Yeah. And but she's quiet about it. She's not showing off. She's not like, hey, everybody, look at how good I am. I should get an award. And she's not like on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend where Rachel sings, I, you know, I'm a good person. She would never do that. Like, that's not who she is. Yeah. She just is a good person. And I just love that about her. And honestly, I really, truly think, too, I mean, I would have gotten to it eventually because, again, it was a blind spot in my life. But, like, my wife is is one of the biggest reasons I love Mansfield Park, too, because I see her and I see Fanny Price in her. Okay. Like I see, I see, I read this book. I hear my wife's life. You know, we didn't meet each other until we were adults. So I don't know everything about her life. She doesn't know anything about my life, obviously. You can't know everything when you meet somebody in your 30s. But I, this is what I think she is. I think she's this. Yeah. This is what it was like for her. And I think there are those people. And I think we should reward somebody for being good. So my whole thing is hopefully trying to distill it down. My whole book takes place in a, a year. Well, actually, in six, it's not even in a year. It's maybe six months' time. The next one, Sense of Sensibility, my version of that takes place over a course of four years. Um, but Mansfield Park takes place literally over the course of like 15 years. Right. Okay. And that also feels, it is a slog. But, okay, Jess, would you want to live 15 to 20 over again? Would I want to live 15... The age of 15 or five, sorry, five to 20 all over again, age five to 20 all over again. Would you want to go, would you get in a time machine, become five again, and then relive that knowing what you know now? No. (laughs) Well, I don't know. (laughs) Knowing what I know. Okay. So I thought you meant just like going back and doing it over again. Oh yeah. Knowing what I know now. And I mean, maybe I definitely tell more people no. And I think that's what Jane did. I think that's what Mansfield Park is, is she's like, if I could redo it, if I could say no to more people. And Jane Austen was, you know, a big, she said no a lot. Like, we don't know a bunch about her because she asked her sister Cassandra to burn all of the stuff that hadn't been published yet. Okay. And so she, well, except, I mean, this, a couple of the books came out after she, but they were already in the process. They were completed books. But like, other than Sanditon, most of her letters, everything, her sister Cassandra burned it. We just don't know. Um and that makes me sad, but it's also like, okay, honor. Good job, sister. Well, well done. So, um, you know, I just think that it's, it's, I think that's what Jane did with this was she was like, yeah. I know what I know now. I'm an adult woman. I wish I had said no when I was five. I wish I had been this resolute, like as an adult, she said no a lot, but I'm sure she didn't. And yeah. almost all of the books, they end up in Bath at one point or time and Jane Austen hated it. So you'll notice none of the characters like being there. In Bath. They're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jane Austen hated it. And so have you ever they, been to Bath? No, I've never been to England. There's, oh, okay. a, there's a city called Bath and in, in, uh, we Bath, we say in and, Michigan. Yeah. And and yeah. and also just a little nugget. Um, I have a wonderful friend who's from Barbados. And the mm-hmm. first time she went to Bath, she was like, Why is everything beige? Everything is beige. And it is. Bath is all the same color, and that color yeah. is beige. So yeah. I'm not surprised. I mean, I think it's beautiful, but I get it. Like Jane yeah. didn't like it. Jane didn't like it. And so any time characters go there, they're usually grumpy. Like the characters who like it there are not the characters you're supposed to be on their side. Yeah. That, that means, People who like Bath really is awesome. Well. They're like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So anyway, so so that's my, I'm sorry. I feel like I've taken your show totally no. off the rails. Yes. Stop. 
saying sorry. I I have absolutely adored this conversation because this is what I needed. I needed someone to explain to me why Jane why Jane Austen is incredible, and that's what you've done. And I hope that with my books, people will pick it up, they'll read it, and they'll be like, oh, like I distilled it down. I hopefully have done her proud. It's a thing Lee and I talk about all the time. Lee is my wife. We were just, because I'm working on the second one. And um, and in my book, so when I wrote the first one, it was just cheeky. I wasn't planning on a series. So like the first one is Mansfield Park. I was like, I want more people to read and understand, love Mansfield Park. So if I write this modern version of Mansfield Park, I make her younger. I give people a way to in. Then maybe they'll be like, okay, now I can go back and read Mansfield Park and be like, okay, this is the, you know, he gave us, it wasn't the Cliff's Notes, because it's still, and it's, I've made some changes, I've added some characters, but just for funsies, I made Mary Bennett the president of the university. And I, and I gave her best friend, one of her, who becomes one of her friends is Maggie Dashwood, the youngest Dashwood. Girl, okay. Who everybody shits on. And then Walt from Persuasion is the brother Anne Elliot's nephew that everybody forgets about like all the time. And then I wrote Dr. Allen in as her, her history professor and advisor. And he's the guy who takes Kat out in Northanger Abbey. And then, um, and then Jane Fairfax, the elusive Jane Fairfax, the person who's always like in Emma, who's like in my version, she's like, what is, what is up your ass, Emma? What is it about me that pisses you off so much? So like Jane Fairfax is the one, like the elusive Jane Fairfax in the whole book. They're like, who's Jane Fairfax? So I wrote all these characters just into my, my version of Mansfield just for funsies. And then when I was like, oh, I could make it a series and I could retell the other stories with, through the perspectives of the minor characters. So like the second Sense and Sensibility one, it's called That Other Dashwood Girl. And so it's retelling the, the events of Sense and Sensibility through young 13 year olds so it's a prequel of sorts yeah, so like that makes we, sense. Meet, we meet maggie in Ma welcome to mansfield and she's a, a first year with she she and junior are friends now we're going to go back four years okay meet her on her 13th birthday until she gets the invitation and then the third one will be mary president bennett's version of pride and prejudice 20 years previously when she's 18 and we're watching her as the middle sister in the crazy bennett household so oh, this sounds this sounds so second cool. and third book will be prequels, and then the third, fourth, and fifth book will be in real time. So then it'll be the third one will just be called Jane instead of Emma. So it's going to oh, be I Jane like Fairfax's version of yeah of Emma. She's and her whole thing is going to be like none of them are ever going to swear, but if anybody would, it would be Jane Jane mm -hmm. Fairfax. It'd be like, and all she would say is the fuck Emma. <laughs> okay, I have a question. Yeah. It sounds like, I want to know exactly how much fun you had writing Welcome to Mansfield, because it sounds like you had an absolute blast. Because I can just imagine you being like, <laughs> you know, it would be funny. Yeah. Setting, setting this, the Rocky horror picture. Like, I can just imagine it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. And um, I, 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 I feel like some of my favorite Jane Austen adaptations are the ones that say aren't playing it straight. Now, Joe Wright's one is beautiful. And I love that. And that's my pride and precious. I think that's an amazing film, but like, em like clueless is the best version of Emma ever. Nothing will be better than clueless ever. And now anytime there's a new one, like Anya Taylor joys, Emma, I watched it. I'm going to watch it. But like bride and prejudice, the Bollywood musical. I don't know if you've ever seen that is mm -hmm. Spectacular. And I think that Jane Austen would see Bride and Prejudice, the Bollywood musical, and be like, yes, 
I'm here for this. <laughs> so I tried to go into it with that frame of mind, like, what are the Jane Austen things that we can acknowledge, Jane? We can acknowledge the thing, but we can we can give her this this modern take and we can dig into what we think. So like I have two characters who in the book and the original book are just two straight dudes. They're a couple in my book because they are definitely gay. They are definitely a, secretly a couple in the book. When you read it, you're like, they're a couple. So I was like, fuck it. They're a couple. Just that's it. That's oh, the book starts. This. They're already together. It's not even a thing. Yes. Um, and I just like, let's just quit pretending. And so um, I did have a lot of fun. And, and some of the lines um, I did, um, like I had ideas. I spend a lot of time talking to my characters. Um, and I am I am a cheeky narrator who talks to you, dear reader. Dear reader is a character in the book. So I'll occasionally just break the fourth wall and be like, don't worry, dear reader, that's coming. Or I'll say, um, you don't need to worry that some years hence that all worked out, but we won't get to see that. But trust us to know it's fine. So I'll use like the royal we as the narrator, but then like, I don't ever say I, I say the royal we as the narrator, like we, all of omniscient people who love story are the narrator of the book. And we talk directly to you, dear reader, all the time. So it's very, it breaks that. So I had a blast and there's a lot of Easter eggs just for nerds, but yeah, like I thought that'll be fun because again, Junior's so good. So of course she'd be a virgin, Mm -hmm. but she would also be a virgin. So there's a moment when they find out she didn't go, she's never been to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Somebody's, and she doesn't ever lie. Like she doesn't openly share. She wouldn't say like, that outfit looks bad on you. But if you ever said, hey, Junior, does this outfit look bad on me? She would be like, yeah, <laughs> if it did. Yeah. Right. But she also wouldn't say you look so cute. If she, Unless you said, how do I look? She'd be like, oh, you look so cute. Like she's just, that's not who she is. She's not a, she keeps it to herself. So when the person says, oh my God, you're a virgin. She doesn't know what that means. So she starts telling, talking about, the fact that you know she's never had sex before and they're like whoa 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 like the word meant something different so like you learn all these fun little things and i've given her a nervous condition um so she always wears scarves okay because i mean yes because she's afraid like she's always holding it in like she's not she's not rude so she's not like she doesn't walk up and be like your breast smells bad she would be like that person's breast smells bad, but unless that person asks if her her breast smells bad, I'm not gonna say anything. So it makes her nervous. Yeah. So she's got a scarf. Oh, that makes so much. Because you live in a world where everybody's got to broadcast fucking everything all the time, yeah. and she doesn't like. She, you know, it's set in the now. There's phones. There's technology. There's Wi-Fi. They talk about movies. Um, I've made Maggie Dashwood, um, the youngest Dashwood sister from Sense Sensibility. She loves action movies. I've made that a weird thing. Like she loves weird American action movies. And like you find out in her own. Does she love Transformers? She is. She is. That has we've gotten not gotten to that part yet, but she will. Can I put um, in a bid? I'll put in a bid. Yeah, for she one hundred percent will. Well, she's also like so. You find out in the first book that when there's a conversation and about the Rocky films and and um, but so she's you know she's got this funny little little weird quirk and. And so they've all got these funny little weird personal touches um, that I've just, I had such a blast with. So then when I was like, oh, I could pitch this as a series. And so I did, it was really easy to realize it. Like I've already had conversations between like adult Dr. Mary Bennett and young Jane Fairfax, like as Jane's getting ready to graduate in her book, the fourth book, like I've heard them talk already. Like they're already, I'm not there. I'm like a year and a half away from writing that book, but I'm already hearing them and 
hanging yeah. out with them because that'll be the first time you actually hear Jane Fairfax's voice, which is great because she's a musician. And so like up until that point, you'll never have heard her talk, but everybody's like, oh, that Jane Fairfax, she's something. No, that Jane Fairfax, this mythical Jane Fairfax. And so I'm setting it up just like in Emma. They're like, Jane Fairfax is the greatest piano player. Jane Fairfax is this and Jane Fairfax is this. And Emma's doesn't even know her. She's like that bitch. <laughs> and, and so then Jane's like, dude, what is your problem? This is all manufactured nonsense. So um, it's, it I don't know. It should, I am having a blast. I love living in Jane's world. Um, I, I love, I hope that these books bring joy to people. And if you've never read Jane Austen, I hope when you read the books, you'll go back and revisit this. And if you've never read Mansfield Park, I get it. I would say to you, Jess, and to everyone who's like, you're right, Mansfield Park is a dick. Okay. Read Northanger Abbey or Persuasion first. Okay. They're, they're shorter. And they, okay. that language issue that you addressed is still there, but because it's less, there's fewer characters. Yeah. And you can just sit with it right away. I think Persuasion is hysterical. There's some genuinely like, there's a line in there that says, Lady Russell did something no one ever thought to do before. She asked Anne. <laughs> okay. Okay. You convinced me. Tony, right? you have you convinced. Laugh. You get what a brilliant line that is. It says you everything. Me. Oh my God. I am good. a convert. Oh my God. Okay. I have one more question and I yeah. know that we're almost out of time. Yeah, but we're good. One thing I, I really like to explore on, on this podcast is I really like to boil down as much as I can the impact that the book that we talk about had on my guest initially, like that initial impact, like why are we even talking about Mansfield? Like, like why, why have we spent so long talking about this impact and how it's, how it's, um, how it made you write this incredible sounding book? And, and I think we've touched on it slightly because you, you say that you see the protagonist in, of, of Mansfield Park in your wife, mm -hmm. um, but I just wonder if we, if, if, if you might be able to explain that a little bit, like, like sure. what, what was that initial impact when you, when you, when you read Mansfield Park? Yeah, I think, well, I think it's layered, as you said, layer. So I'll, I'll use your word. So yes, it's, I see, I see Fanny Park, Fanny Price and my wife. I see her as this person who's good and who's resolute and who knows what she wants and knows what she doesn't want. That's most important. Yeah. And when she doesn't know, you know what she says? I don't know. Like it's, it's okay to not know. And like Fanny's such a real person. And I think I was sort of in a lost place, you know, after my failed marriage, nobody wants a marriage to fail. Nobody wants that. That's not your goal is to have kids with somebody and then get divorced and so going, get, getting divorced and custody battles and all of those things. And so I think Mansfield Park was just such a rooted book and just like life. It's okay for life to be hard. Like, I understand that they're boring rich white people and you're like first world problems, but it is still your problem. Yeah. And, and these are, life is hard sometimes and people are mean. And um, I just saw it. I see a lot of family, my wife, but I also see a lot like, like again, for me being that person who's like, I'm not going to be a drinker. I'm not going to be a smoker and how hard that was. And to have people, people push their own insecurities on you. And Fanny is a really sensitive person. I think her feelings get hurt a lot because she doesn't understand why people just don't accept her saying no and they don't listen to her. And there's a whole scene with a horse in the, in the book and uh, with Mary Crawford, who's an awful human. Mary Crawford's the worst. And my version of Mary Crawford is the worst. Uh, she shows up at the Rocky Horror Picture Show and like just garters. Like, 
And there's a whole conversation about whether she's dressed as a stripper or not. It's pretty funny. Um, and, and of course, Junior's like, no, that's just her constant. <laughs> like, she's even defending the villain, you know, because she's yeah. such a good person. And so, but then she starts to second guess herself. And and it, she's just very sensitive. And I, I am that. I am, like I said, it, I cry reading books. I uh, get very emotional about things. I am very sensitive. And um, it's not always rewarded. Nobody likes that. The, you know, my whole life, you're being too sensitive. As a yeah. working adult, you're being too sensitive. Suck yeah. it up. Um, the suck it up thing drives me crazy. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah, I mean, yes, I, I understand suck it up. Like, okay. But also make, fuck off. <laughs> right, but it's like, you know? it's like, right, but it's like when you're like, okay, I made the mess and now I have to clean it up, suck it up and clean it up to your mess. But it's another thing to be like, office space right you know where you're just like you can't suck that up anymore you're like at some point in time i just got to push the thing over and smash the fax machine like i at some point and fanny never does that she holds it all in all the time and she just she's playing the long game in life Mm -hmm. and i've always felt like okay if you're just good if you just do the good thing and that was the thing and i realized reading mansfield park and again the failure of my first marriage and the way that i disliked myself in my first marriage, but also I did the thing that I thought was right in the moment, which was, I'm going to, even though I know she's full of shit and lying, my first wife, I'm going to have her back because that's Mm -hmm. what you do. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. And so I did that. I did what I thought was right, even though in hindsight, it probably wasn't, but you do what you think you can in the moment. So I just think Mansfield Park is just a book about where the heroine is doing what she thinks is right, surrounded by like a tornado of idiots nobody's doing what they think is right. They don't give a shit. That's the thing. None of them are thinking about right or wrong or wrong. They're not thinking. It's a, it's a, it's manipulation, class warfare, idiocy, privilege. She's not privileged. She's poor. She's sickly. She's all these things. She's just happy to be there. She feels honored to be there. And because I, I didn't know, I've said this before. I didn't know I was poor until I went to college. I didn't know. Oh yeah. You know, like, you just don't know that. Like, you're like, we're just these people. We just thought this is what life is like. And then you go and you're like, oh, shit. This is what we're doing every year. Okay. (laughs) Red people are like, how is it that you've lived in Michigan and never gone skiing? Like, how did I? How? Yeah. How would I have? Yeah. How was that a thing? What are you talking about? But those weren't, that's exactly, were you there? That is exactly the conversation. The fact that you pick skiing, people are like, I can't believe you never went skiing. I'm like. I can't believe that you're asking me that. Like, you're, do you see these clothes that I'm wearing? Do you see all yeah. the holes in them? Like, you know, it's, it's like, those are the things. So I just feel like it it showed me. And again, I, I acknowledge they're rich white people and you can look at their privilege, but I also think Jane wants you to look at the privilege and the reason her heroine of this story is not of them. She's trying to navigate life in them. Yeah. And I understood that. And she's highly sensitive and her feelings are hurt and she just is good. And she just doesn't get why being good isn't enough. Like, why isn't being good enough? You assholes. And she would never say that to them. But in her mind, it's like, I can only be good. We can yeah. only be who I am. And, and, and then everybody keeps pushing her to be something she isn't. And she never does. And I'm just so in awe of that. Yeah. And the fact that Jane Austen also didn't do the things that everybody said she was supposed to do. She's writing this. She's like sitting there, like scribbling on a notebook underneath her needlework, under her woman's work. She's like handwriting these words. Wow. It's spectacular. It's yeah. I'm in awe of Jane and she's funny. And Mansfield Park is subversively funny. Norris is such a cartoon 
villain. Like she is so absurd. But you don't see how absurd she is. You don't see, like, if you look at, every time you hear Norris talk and you think hypocrite, every time she opens her mouth, it's like you hear somebody say, she's a hypocrite, she's a hypocrite. Over the top of her, that's funny. And then when you meet, like, Hank Crawford, who everybody used to be like, he's suave. He's that guy. He's like, hey, what do you need? I got it. I got whatever. <laughs> I'm James Bond. And she's like, ew. <laughs> Fanny's not into him and nobody gets it. And then they're like, why are you into her? And he's like, because she's not into me. Yes. And it's like, you know, it's such an honest thing. It's like she's acknowledging the way that people are and people do bad things. So that is, it It, it just is. And again, I'm going to be the first person to say not every book is for every person. I know you're going to say, who's this for? I. It's for, look, it is a very human book. It is living your life. And I think sometimes a long slog is worth it to the end, but it is hard to get through. And sometimes it's like, listen, that book sucks. Put that down. I'm a firm yes. believer that life is too short to read crappy books. If you Me can't too. get through Mansfield Park, don't. I would rather you not read it than hate it. But I would say it is deliberate. It's her longest book on purpose. She's. It's the only book with the character as a child when it begins and an adult when it ends. No books go from childhood, literal childhood, not like teenage to marriage, like like happens with Cat or with with Anne, um, and Anne, you know, you skip ten years. Like you see her when she's this age, and then she's you know she's seventeen to twenty seven. So, but you don't see the in between. So you see that you know, like this is the only book where it's like all fifteen years we live them all with her, yeah. and that you're like that's a lot. Fifteen years is a lot to live with somebody. Books don't do that generally. So again. That's also the the effect it has on me too. Is like that takes some balls. Yes. Wow. And she's just. I just think she's. She's not for everybody. And that again, like you said, my hope is that my books, if people like them a little, then they would give Jane a try. And if they don't, that's fine too. If you don't want to read my books, that's fine too. It's no the book thief. I'll tell you that. But it, I am proud of it, which is hard for me to say. I genuinely think everything I do sucks. I am proud of these books. I second guess them all the time. I try to just channel my Fanny Price and say, you know, you did it's just you're doing the right thing. Just keep doing it. Yes, please keep doing it. I'm so excited. I am so excited to read your book. Thank you. I really I'm I'm excited to read them. If you could just hurry up and write them. No, I'm joking. But you know, I'm, I'm, like, at, I'm just so I'm excited four, to read. 41,000 words of the Maggie Dashwood story. Wow. Oh. Well, I mean, and 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 just from someone who has been spending the last 12 months, like trying to figure out and then write a novel. And I'm only I'm only not even halfway done. Like, congrats on getting to the end and creating something that you, that you are obviously incredibly passionate about. Like, I have loved this whole conversation. Thank you. Me, too. It's been yeah. so fun. Yeah. Um, OK, so. um before before I let you go and cook your wonderful vegetarian dinner. Yeah. Um mm, stuffed peppers. Yes, that sounds lovely. Um so I just I just want to um tell the listeners how they can how they can find you, how they can engage with you, sure. and how they can find, you know, information about your book and that kind of stuff. Sure. My website is the one stop shop. So arfarina.com. Those are my initials. 
arfarina.com. That's my writing name, arfarina. So you can go there. And my my lovely wife has made me a glorious website. And you can link to all my stuff there. You can get, I'm like, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but almost 99% of the things that are on there are her. I do the likes and reach. Like when I'm reading Jess's awesome stuff and I like it or I read, post it, that's me. But anything that's nice and new and like, um, like my book trailer just dropped, that was her. She made that. And she set it up and then just put it out there. Um, so go there. She's awesome. And the website's awesome. So you can sign up. I've got a newsletter you can sign up for and that'll give you stuff. So like I do a monthly newsletter where I, I like to write an essay every month instead of it being just like, here's what's up. And I do a here's what's up, like notes from my keyboard, notes from my bookshelf. Here's what I'm reading. Here's what I'm writing. But I like write an essay because I like writing essays. And I feel like, hey, you're signing up for my newsletter. I'll give you a little peek inside the old brain pan. So like I did one about audiobooks and this one, when it comes out in March, I don't know when this is coming out, but the March newsletter will be um, about poetry because poetry month is April. So I'm like in looking ahead to poetry month. And then, um, and when you sign up, I give you a link to the archive. So you don't have to worry like, oh, what I miss? Well, if you sign up, as soon as you sign up, I reply with a link to the archive of the previous newsletters. Perfect. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Thank and you I know so much. I know it's weird to write an essay and you're like, I don't want to read an essay. I understand. So that's going to make my newsletter less fun. Everybody else is like, here's what I'm up to. And I'm like, I do that. But I just like, here's something that I just yeah. want to give to you, to you, the newsletter subscribers, a weird, you know, five to 800 word blurb going on inside my brain. But then you get, then you'll get people subscribing who want to read your essays because I like, hope. I'm kind of sick of incredibly short form like I'm not ever going to be on TikTok or like mm. I'm very I'm, I'm 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 kind of starting to get real sick of like just an incredibly short form like content online like you know oh, um you know people's attention span is so low it's like give people more credit like if we want to read an essay we'll read an essay so like yeah. if I'm, I want to sign up and get an essay every month then I'll I'll read it I you hope know? so you'll, yeah. you'll get readers who want to read your essays and I hope so yeah, and I can only imagine they'll be brilliant. Thanks. And I wrote a poem the other day too, so it'll be perfect. Oh, I'll have something to write about. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Tony. This has been thank you. such a wonderful conversation. Um, and I will pop all of the details about the Fairmont Collective and my own little blog, 600 Words on Life. Love uh, that, by me. the way. BT Dubs. Oh, yes. Love it. Oh, good. I'm glad. It's. I, I like reading that. That's amazing. Oh, good. You should be um, very proud of that. That's oh, great Oh, thank you. Thank you. I See, I, you're I, writing I, essays and just giving them away. Yes. You're doing it. It's great. Yeah. I just, yeah, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot because I felt like it was quite neglected for a while. You know, I had my head stuck into like, like what is this novel thing going to be? I just felt like I couldn't. I was getting in my own way a lot, if that makes sense. So yeah, thank sure, you. I'm glad that you like it. Thank you. Um, but yeah, and so so thanks. This has been awesome.